The 139th Psalm, I'm going to read the first 18 verses. This is a psalm ascribed to King David. And he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So, Father, we ask for your blessing to be on the hearing of the word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will provide spiritual ears to hear, spiritual eyes to see, where the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of those that do not believe. Let the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrate that darkness. Let life be granted where depression and melancholy has seeped in. A sense of regret, loss, shame, or guilt has been layered over some heart that you've delivered. I pray in the name of Jesus that all of that sense of accusation would be taken off of every woman in this place, that they would not be slaves to regret, but they would be servants of hope. And Lord, I pray that you will do the work that only you can do. Reverse what needs to be reversed implement what must be implemented. And above all things, put Jesus at the center of all that we do think and say this afternoon. We ask it for his glory that he might be crowned Lord in every heart. In his name, amen. Be seated. So when we're talking about what every mother must know, again, I would like to stipulate that really it's what we all need to know, that we don't serve a detached deity that God is not tucked off in some corner of heaven running the rest of the cosmos while you and I are scrambling to get his attention down here. That's just not the way he operates. Though he's mysterious, I want to tell you this, in a very real way, he's knowable. That's why he came. That's why God came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is so that we wouldn't simply be living a life where we'd have to just read about him, but that we could be with him for all of eternity. And so in the incarnation, Jesus entering in to that human experience of being born, Jesus himself, the son of God, taking upon himself the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of humanity. 
And being found in fashion of a, as a man, he became obedient. He lived a life in obedience first unto the Father, and then secondarily under the laws of, of the land. He said, render unto Caesars what belongs to Caesar and unto God what belongs to God. He submitted himself in every way during his earthly life and then ultimately gave that flawless, sinless life on the cross of Calvary. But Jesus had a mom. We see so much about Mary, and, and so many people might tend to make more than Mary of Mary than they should, and others tend to diminish Mary in a counterbalance move to those that make too much of her. All I will say is this, Jesus loved his mother, and on a day where we're celebrating Mother's Day, I was tempted to talk so much about Mary. I was tempted to go to the Proverbs 31 uh, um, landing spot that so many preachers will be at today, but ultimately, I came to this psalm and I realized that the best thing I can do for all of us, including the moms, is just remind you how secure you are in your identity in Jesus. Not because you're the best mom, because not everybody in the room would be willing to say, yeah, I'm in the running for that. Not because you've always gotten it right, mom. Not because you, you didn't make mistakes and sometimes severe mistakes with your children, because that's what sinners do. We make mistakes in our relationships from time to time. But the reason why I can say that you are secure is not because of all the great things you've done, but because of how great your father is and how committed he is to you. So let's go through these verses today, many of them dealing with this issue of life in the womb and birth. And yes, I'm going to go there today. So let's begin in verses one through six. And let's start where I want to tell you what a mother must know about herself. What every mother must know about herself is this first and foremost, is that she is fully understood by God. Look at what David says. David says, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Lord, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. I'm going to tell you, if you're a mom and you've at least gotten to the teenager stage, you can say amen that you are often misunderstood by those that you share a home with. If they don't get you all the time, they don't understand you all the time. Children, as we grew up, I was the same way. We're notorious for not grasping the hearts of our mothers. We, we just can't fathom the complexity of that heart. And primarily when we're young, we see those mothers as what do they mean to me and what, who can they be for me? And regularly, even in the most mundane components of life, mothers are in an aspect of life of giving and giving and giving, while most of the time not always being a appreciated and rarely are they understood. But David carries something for all moms, all of us really, looking up to the Lord and say, Lord, they don't get me down here, but you do. Lord, you know me. The word there where he says, you have searched me. It's a Hebrew word that can mean a couple of different things. It can mean to the piercing through, meaning God pierces through everything that everybody else sees on the outside. He gets to the heart of who we are as his people. But it also is a word that can describe searching diligently for treasure. So if we put those two together, we can say that David is saying to God, God, you know who I am because you have burrowed down inside of me. You have searched for me as if I had value to you as treasure is sought after. That's an awesome thing for, uh, for women, for moms to remember. He says, you know, when I sit down, you know my movements. You know, when I rise up, uh, <laughs> some of you are raising little ones. We, we have some women of courage in here. 
We got a couple of women that got like 10 children under the age of six. I don't know how they did it, but I mean, they just got baby after baby after baby. They don't space them out. They're just like, come on, let's do it and get it all over at once. And then we can rest when we're in our forties or something. But it's, it's just amazing to me to watch women with these babies. They never stop. You know, the only time they get to stop, and even that's not a guarantee, is when they're asleep. So when you see these moms walking around here, and usually it's the dad walking in with his Bible under his arm. He's walking in, good morning, good morning, how are you? Great to be here in the house of God. And mom's got a diaper bag, she's got a stroller, she's got another stroller with this foot. She's got one that's got a bottle in. And it's just, it's so funny to me to see super moms all the time. But listen, the Lord knows when you're moving. He knows what you're doing, but it's even deeper than that. It's not just an omniscience he can see. David says, you fully discern my thoughts. It's not only my movements, but it's my motives. Sometimes moms will do something hard, something difficult for the benefit of the family, the benefit of the children, and those motives come into question. Because our kids, we have, to, we have to shepherd them out of their inherent savagery. They're born little savages. All they want to do is eat and ruin a diaper and sleep and cry. I mean, that's just what they do. They're, they're, they're just little savages. And so as they get older, they're, they're, they're now savages that know how to communicate. And, and so they, they make demands and more demands, and now they can articulate that. And sometimes mom, have to use, mom has to use that word that children don't like to hear. No! No! And, and those kids, they just cannot believe that mom has stopped orbiting around them for five minutes and, and their motives are called into question. But David, though not a mom, granted, David was able to look up to the Lord and says, yeah, you actually know what I'm thinking. Lord, you get my heart. You see them from afar. You know my, my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down. And Lord, you're acquainted with all of my ways. Why would I bring this up? Because I think that the, one of the cravings of the human heart is we want people to get us. We want people to understand us. Uh, you know, I'm not Dr. Phil or even a remotely close, but I will say this. I think one of the things we share is we want people to understand who we are and why we are and what we're all about. And frankly, we're fallen. We don't always get to see accurately what's going on in other people. And there is a, a refuge to run to when you're being misunderstood or at times, as moms sometimes are underappreciated. And, and you can run to the Lord and say, Lord, my husband doesn't get me. My kids aren't getting me right now. My girlfriends aren't getting me right now. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to shut the door on all of that. And I'm just going to say it is so good to be in your presence because I know that you know who I am. You know all of my ways. And David gives us an outlet to express that desire. Look in verses 4 and 5. She not only is fully understood by God, but she can be fully in sync with God. This is, this is important. Look at what, she's, uh, what David says, and let's, let's place this on all of our tongues. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in from behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. This is a testimony of God and, and David in this case, and we'll apply it to you and I, to being under a yoke together. Jesus said, take my yoke upon me. That means Jesus will get on one side of life, you'll get under the other side of life, and he wants to do life with you. And when he turns this way, you turn this way. And when he goes this way, you go that way. When he stops, you stop. And so it is this picture of, of the Lord not sitting in a rocking chair in heaven, kind of administrating everything that goes on on earth, but to being here and doing life with you. And so when we're seeing this, I love it because the writer, the psalmist, David is saying here, Lord, before I said that, you heard that. 
Before it ever became verbalized and intonated, you heard it on my heart. And in Lord, even though it didn't come out right out of my mouth, you knew what I was trying to say. Now, this actually can be both a blessing and a warning. But the one thing is this, God's listening to what we say, amen? Yeah, all the men said amen. The lady's like, hold on, let's see where he's going with this thing. (laughs) What I'm saying is this, listen, if if you're guarding your lips like scripture teaches us and you're using your lips to bless and to build up and to praise and to worship and to pray and to edify, then you ought to be encouraged that the Lord is in partnership with what comes out of your mouth. The converse is true too. If you're given to gossip and slander and criticism and complaining, he hears all that stuff too. Isn't it amazing that he hears it before it comes out and yet he still allows you to say that stuff? What, What is he doing? He wants you to hear it so maybe one day you'll recognize, ooh, what just came out of my mouth is not something that ought to be coming out of my mouth. And at other times when we're lifting up hands and we're praising and we're glorifying and we're singing and we're speaking encouragement to each other, the Lord's saying, that's my girl, that's my boy, that's my child. But the point is this, we want to be fully in sync with him with what comes out of our mouth. But David says more about that. He says, you hem me in. He says it right there in verse number five. He says that you hem me in behind and before. When we talk about being in sync with God, it's not only that we want our mouths to be in sync, we want our steps to be in sync. And there's two ways that God will keep you in sync with him. The first one is not as pleasant as the second one. The first one is this, it's resistance. He'll hem you in. Do you know that more than likely already in, the, in, in this part of this year, God has sovereignly put his hand up and said, I am not letting you go there. I am not going to allow you to do this. You're trying, you're kicking against the goads, you're doing your best to make something happen. I love you, my child. I know you don't get it right now, but I'm going to hem you in. And so what do we do? We try to cut around it. God says, I'm going to hem you in here. David said it. He said, you hem me in in the front and in the back. But notice this, it's not simply just the resistance. Look also in verse number five, he says this, he says, and you lay your hand on me. So it's not just the resistance that keeps us in sync with God, it's the reassurance. He puts his hand on you. He says, I'm with you. It is that touch. It is that connection. It is that sense of everything's okay. I've got my hand on you. I know I've hemmed you in. I know I've blocked you off. I know I'm not going to let you get what you think you need or go where you think you need to go right now, but I've got you. And by the way, child, I'm right here with you. That's that awesome paternal kindness that he shows us. And so, mom, I want to tell you, no matter what's going on in your life, and I understand it. I watched this with Amy. I've seen it with so many of the women that um, I've had the privilege of pastoring over the years. There is nothing glamorous about raising small children. And I understand. Listen, more importantly, who cares what Jeff understands? God is not discompassionate towards you when you are dealing with the same old, same old. I'm going to speak to the young moms right here. You're not imagining things. You really are tired. Your husband probably really isn't helping like he could. Um, that, That the kids really don't appreciate you. They are making withdrawals at a rapid rate and ain't no deposits coming in because again, they're little savages and that's what they do. They just need to get saved and filled with the spirit and one day they're gonna be fine. But until then, yes, you're struggling. But I wanna tell you something, that is the season of life, my sister, where God will draw you into him when nobody else can meet your needs. 
Everybody around you is extracting. It's not because they're bad people. It's just life. And your resources are fewer. And so the Lord allows these things and he hems you in and he's not allowing you to be free for even a half a day at times. And he's saying to you, I want you to know I've got my hand on you. That I am there. I haven't gone away. Listen, you got to be real close to somebody to have your hand on them. And the Lord is not standing at a distance grading your motherhood and saying, well, you, 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 right now you're at about a C minus, but the final's coming up. And listen, and so many moms are pressured to live that way. Ladies, you know the mommy competition because, you know, all, all the moms at the park, they, they, what you don't know is they got a maid, they got a nanny, they got, and all they're doing is they're showing up at the park and they're looking all bubbly because they just got done with an hour of aerobics and some time at the, getting a pedicure and a manicure and you're looking at them and you know, your hair's all crazy, you make yesterday's makeup on, you're in a pair of jogging pants that didn't get washed since February and, and you're saying to yourself, how does she have it all together? Well, she doesn't. Her and maybe eight other people got it all together, but you're doing it with the Lord and you know what I'm going to tell you, his grace is sufficient. He's with you. He's with you. So you can be fully in sync with God and you can be fully at rest in God. Verse number six, this is what you got to know about yourself, that you're understood by him. You can be in sync with him and you can be fully at rest to him. David writes, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. What does that mean? I've read that verse for years in about 12 different translations, and it's, it's always intriguing to me. But what David is referring to is the first five verses. He's saying, this that I understand is mind-blowing to me. He says, it's high. I cannot attain it. It's really a humble expression of David saying, God, I know I don't know all that you are and all who you are, but what I do know is staggering to me. It is so out there. And it is, without really articulating it in dozens and dozens of words, it's an expression of release and worship. David is saying, as we all must say, Lord, I'm not going to diminish you. I'm not going to seek to reduce you so to the place where you are um, attainable or explainable and containable. In other words, there's a temptation in religion, even Christian religion, which is not the same thing as what we're trying to do here. Christian religion is just ornament something with Jesus, and I'm sure it's good. No, we want passionate pursuit of Christ as as a local congregation, as individuals. But there is in Christian religion this desire to reduce God to the point where he's manageable. So we're going to make him containable and explainable. And we, we don't like mystery. And if it's mysterious, we ignore it or, or we actually fight it. And, and David is saying, God, you're so gloriously good. that I, I don't know the half of you, but what I do know is so high, but I know the rest of it. I can't attain to it on my own. So it is an expression of release. So I'm going to speak this over all of us this morning, not just the moms, but all of us this morning. I, I think it is time in your Christian life where you stop trying to figure out God and start enjoying him. Worship is not explaining God, figuring him out, checking him out from every angle. That's the height of arrogancy. Worship is release and joy in Jesus. And instead of us spinning our wheels trying to figure him out to where he's containable and explainable, what we need to do is come to the point where we just say with David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I don't understand all of you. It is so high, but it is amazing to me. 
And David didn't feel the need to defend everything about God. So something maybe this year, maybe by the time we get to Mother's Day of next year, there can be a shift in all of our hearts where we have grown in being able to rest in who God is and what he's done through us, through the person, or for us through the person of Jesus Christ. Just exhale and rest in that. Religion will tell you never relax, never rest. But the grace of the gospel as it's given in scripture will tell you even at your best day in your finest moment, you're not good enough. So you really don't have a choice but to rest. Why? Because Jesus has done it all. He's taken care of all of it. And God is supremely delighted when we acknowledge that, not just with our theology, but with our, our response and our relationship with him. And so moms, I want to tell you something. I, I hope that you will endeavor to be the best mom that you can be to your children or any other children that you might influence, really any other people, but in the context of motherhood, go ahead and be the best, but stop living under the pressure to compare yourself with all of the other mommies. God has given you a capacity. He wants you to max out that capacity. And for wherever that capacity and your ability stops, there's grace for what is lacking. You're not going to ruin your kids if you don't trim the crust off the white bread. Amen. You're going to be okay. Hey, I'll just go on a limb. They can have some fries at McDonald's. And I'm going to tell you, they're not going to bust hell wide open because of it. We, we live in a world that has made mommy, mommyhood this narrow, executable prep, uh, you know, part of a cliff where you just one wrong step and, ah, and you take your offspring with you. God never intended it to be that way. And so let's go further into the text, verses 7 through 12. Beyond what a mother must know about herself, let's look specifically in these verses and just pull out of things about what a mother must know about her God. First of all, again, we're going to hit companionship over and over again. He is ever present with her. Verse 7, David asks, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and shield or the grave, you are there. Uh, David is about to kind of launch into some, some language, some poetic language that takes us from one extreme to the other in order to say, well, God is with you at this extreme. God's with you at this extreme. Therefore, God is with you in everything in between. And so it's not rocket science. What the psalmist is trying to tell all of us here is that God is ever present with you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but chances are uh, everybody in the room that's a follower of Jesus Christ has gone through some season where God seems anything but close to you. I know I've been there. And I'd like to tell you it was a half hour on a Tuesday back in 2001, but I'm not talking to something like that. I've gone for months at times where I couldn't hear him speak. I didn't sense his presence. I wasn't caught up in any sin. I wasn't doing anything differently than when I had been in those peak moments where it felt like, you know, he was right by me. But there are seasons where it just doesn't seem he's there. And in those seasons, what it took me a while to learn was this, that the lesson that he's wanting me to learn, two things. One, trust what I have said about being with you, not what you feel about me being with you. And the second thing that I've always learned during those seasons is, Jeff, what was the last thing I told you to do? Because a lot of the times when we're seeking for God and his presence and the experience of it and the, the fullness of it and the sense of it, we're wanting him to, come on, let's go to the next thing. Let's go to, we, we, you, got, you got something else in that cool box of tricks. Come on, let's, let's go somewhere. Let's do something. And, and we get like that. And, and the Lord sometimes wants to test our endurance 
and test, I mean, literally test our faith, not so he can figure it out, but so we can know where we stand. And so God will be very still and very quiet. And at times where I begged him, talk to me, answer me, do something, fix this, help me, God, where are you? And in, in, still, uh, in, in still moments, that small voice of the Lord will come and say, Jeff, do you remember the last thing I told you to do? And I'll have to get historical with the Lord. When he's not talking, I tend to get hysterical. But when he wants to talk, I got to get historical. I have to say, okay, what did you tell me to do? I'm going to tell you something. He usually meets me at the place where I drop the ax head, if you remember the testimony of Elisha in the book of the Kings. And you go back and you find him there. David said, Lord, I could fly away. I could go uh, to the ascension of heaven and I'd find you there enthroned. Or Lord, I could go to the deepest grave on earth and you would still be there. So from the pinnacle of heaven to the darkest part of any tomb, God says, I'll meet you in both of those places and anywhere in between, I want you to know, mama, I am with you. He's with you. Verses nine and 10. A mother must know this about her God, that changes do not diminish his commitment to her. I love verses 9 and 10. They're beautiful. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Whereas in the previous uh, two verses, David had implemented a vertical from heaven to the grave. Here he's moving from east to west. The wings of the morning is a phrase that is given to describe the sun rising in the east. And David says, if I go as far east as I can to where I kiss the sunrise, you're going to be there. And then we have this statement about the sea. Well, to the west of Israel is the broad Mediterranean Sea. So David is saying, if I run and kiss the sunrise at the east, or if I go out to the furthermost part of the sea to the west, there you are. It's not only about the highs and the lows, but it's also about when he moves things from this way to this way. And the one thing that God has never pledged his people is, I'll leave you alone and comfortable. He has never said, I won't bother you. I'm just going to make everything conducive, climatized, and comfortable for you. He just doesn't say that. False prophets say that, but God never says that. And David is here writing, he says, I could take the wings of the morning, or I could dwell in the deepest part or the furthest extent of the sea, and, and listen to his confidence. And if I went to those extremes, even there, I would find that you, my God, are still leading me, and your right hand is holding me up. I love this. Ladies, I want to encourage you. I feel so drawn to, to compassion and to this morning just to encourage moms tired moms, hurting moms, fearful moms, moms with deep regrets that maybe they could have done this differently. It's an awful thing to live under the canopy of you should have. I want to say to every daughter of God in this place, every mom that fumbled in motherhood, Every mom that didn't walk with the Lord like she wished now she had walked with the Lord when she was raising her kids and the enemy accuses you every time you now see one of your children perhaps reaping in a field that you sowed in years gone by. I want to tell you, if you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you came to him by faith and believed that he died on Calvary's cross for your sins, it included every failure that you ever made as a mother. It is under the blood. You are not condemned. He is not accusing you. Now, it is upon you 
to come deeply to him and receive that balm for the wounds of your failures. He needs to bring that healing. It is also wise for you to be straightforward and honest with your children and say to them, when I was raising you, I did not act as I should. I missed opportunities. I was distracted. I was hurting. I was wrong. I was unsaved. But I want to tell you now, I am so sorry for what I did back then. Now, you're not in charge of your child's response. Maybe they're grown now, but I can tell you one thing. You have more hope at facing it moving forward than you do have hope looking backwards and wishing things were different. The past is done. And daughter of God, I can tell you, God has much more intentionality about your future. He is done with your past. It'll never be repeated. And so he's calling you to walk in your future. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But the beauty here is this. No matter how often we stumble, and man, don't we stumble. We have a father who never leaves our side. So Jeff, I didn't stumble. I fell flat on my face. Well, he's got a long arm. He can reach you. And he can. He's got a strong arm, and he can pick you up no matter what you're saddled with. Verses 11 and 12 What a mother must know about her God, he will never lose nor abandon her. Listen to this. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Ladies, let me just share something with you. And guys, you can receive this if you want to. We are now in a unique season here in our world, I actually think it's global, but since we're in continental U.S. right now, I'll stick to here, where there is an increased spirit of fear that is growing exponentially all around us. It is not simply circumstantial. It is spiritual. It is demonic. It is satanic. It is fueled by the one who loves to kill and steal, steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can't steal, kill, and destroy, he at least wants to imprison you with an unnecessary tremble. He wants you held captive in fear. And so it appears when we look forward, and by the way, when you're looking forward, make sure you're looking forward and up, not just forward and this way, because there's not a lot of hope going this way. Look forward and look up. Keep your, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Seek those things are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God, Colossians 3. And when we think about the future, I want you to know, left to right, east to west, horizontally, it looks dark. I mean, I really hope, I love you. I don't, I, I'm not going to ask you what you're voting on in November, but I'm going to tell you something. If you really think the answer is going to be found in the Oval Office next January, you're crazy. You're just, no, I love you, but I'm going to tell you, you're straight up crazy. It's just going to be a new flavor of insanity come January. The hope is not in our government. Listen, I want godly leaders. I want them as much as anybody. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to wait to live my life. I'm not pressing the pause button until January. And I'm not going to waste the ensuing months getting all tied up in knots about what's happening. It's beyond our control. I'm going to tell you, I believe God will do what he's been doing for America. He's going to give us the president that we deserve. Right. That's the appropriate response. Yeah, you say, well, Jeff, you've offended me. Well, your candidate's not elected yet. You're not offendable yet. Wait until January. (laughs) My point is this. It looks dark. North Korea is run by a megalomaniac. You got the guy in Turkey 
who is starting to do some very strange things in Turkey, plays a prominent position in biblical prophecy, uh, not to mention Mr. Putin in Russia. Then you've got China, which, you know, is a frightening entity all in of themselves. And you've got the United States of America, and we're just trying to get to the next episode of TMZ. And so when we look at this, I'm going to tell you, you know, I mean, I think discerning people are saying it's really dark out there, but let's go back to the Bible. If I say, verse 11, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Those are, those are expressions of despair and hopelessness. Even the darkness, O oh God, is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. What does that mean? It means, Lord, it looks horribly dark down here. It looks hopeless down here. And let's bring it back to motherhood. Lord, I'm worried about my children. I'm worried about their futures. I'm worried about my insufficiencies as a mother. mother. I'm worried if I'm doing it right or if I'm doing it wrong. I'm worried that maybe I'm losing my identity in in diapers and and clothes and spit up and bibs and carpooling. And Lord, it just feels like I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going. David comes back to this compass point and he gets grounded and he says, oh, but while it's dark around me, you see everything. That's why I'm not going to look at all of this. I'm just going to look at you. And friends, that may sound too simplistic for you, but I promise you, if you'll make that your pursuit in life, moms, dads, young people, older people, if you will make that your pursuit in life, that I must see Jesus and keep him at the forefront then you won't be owned by the darkness. You're not going to expunge it. You're not going to make it go away, but you can live above it. That's what King David is writing here. So now verses 13 through 18, and we'll be done. What every mother must know about her security, about her security. Ladies, I want you to hear me, and I am. I'm just going to wrap this up talking to the women for the most part. Moms and those who aren't moms. She is intentionally and beautifully made. Verse 13, listen to this. David's going into the womb under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. David is taking us all into the womb. You formed me. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? He's talking to God. You formed me, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. If it weren't for these verses, I don't know that our commitment to the sanctity of life would be as strong as it is. For me, as a preacher of the gospel, as a Christian, The sanctity of life is not a football to be punted between political parties. It is a biblical issue. And there are probably no clearer statements in scripture regarding how life comes to pass. The Bible says, God puts the baby in the womb. How often? A hundred out of a hundred, a million out of a million. Six billion out of six billion. There are no accidental conceptions. Why? Because the scriptures teach clearly that life proceeds from God and God intentionally plants the child that he desires in the womb of the woman that he desires. 
David was able to say, and remember the Holy Spirit not only inspired David to write this, and isn't, don't forget, this was a song they used to sing. Isn't it interesting that songs about the sanctity of life, not politically, but in worship, a psalm is a song that was sung in liturgical worship. And so David penned this and it would have been sung and he's singing about how God made him in his mother's womb, but it wasn't just arbitrary. It speaks of knitting together and, and it's picturesque in that there is intricacy and there's intentionality. It's not God just, you know, throwing a sperm and an egg together and saying, hope something good comes, that God literally has a purpose has a desire in his infinite being. And the expression of that desire and purpose is going to be fulfilled through a human form. And so he determines which individual will be planted in which womb for which purposes of his. And that means every single baby that is conceived is a significant creation because God Almighty purposed that child. No matter what the ramifications or the, or the situation of the birth is, or the conception is, God is the author of life. The scriptures say that he opens the womb and he closes the womb. That means that no baby can be conceived except by divine decree. And so when we read this, David is able to say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He, he talks about the Lord framing him up. And making him in secret, it speaks to the preciousness of it. You know, this is where we have to humble ourselves and recognize because not every birth is a healthy birth. Not every baby has longevity. My daughter asked me just the other day, what's the hardest thing you do in ministry? And I said, preaching the funerals of babies. She said, how many have you done? I said, way more than I've wanted. And we say to ourselves, well, why did God even let the baby come to pass for the baby? And we, we start reasoning through these things. And again, I want to tell you something, that God is good. He makes no mistakes. And he will accompany us. Don't forget, I, 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 I have my hand on you, child. So in the heartbreak and the loss, and some children are not born healthy, and they struggle. We, we, we all understand that. Again, I will say that there are things about God that I don't feel the need to explain God's credibility is not hinged upon me being able to explain the why of certain difficulties in life. He's good. And when it comes to this issue of conception, David speaks very clearly to the Lord. He says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Ladies, you live in a culture that demands you to be beautiful physically. You live under a constant pressure to look a certain way. And by the way, as you age, they expect you to figure out a way to stay looking that way. It's ridiculous that you're supposed to be a wrinkleless size six with beautiful eyes, beautiful figure, beautiful hair, and an immaculate wardrobe. And then they say, this is a wonderful woman. The Bible says this, God looked at you. Huh, I'm going to get a little gross here, but just bear with me. When you're covered in afterbirth, screaming and gasping for your first breath, God said, fearfully and wonderfully made. When you are 12 years old and 
Your arms are longer because you're growing and your arms wanted to grow first and your legs haven't grown. And ladies, and maybe your skin broke out or your, your teeth aren't straight and all of this stuff. And you just, just girls, boys too, but girls so self-conscious and they're saying, oh, I got to be pretty. I got to be beautiful. I mean, listen, do you know one of the fastest growing uh, um, facets of plastic surgery is, is girls under the age of 16? You haven't had time to mess nothing up yet. And, and so they're getting breast augmentation and they're getting injections in their backsides and all of this. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, are, you, are we crazy? And I hear the Lord say, yes, you're all crazy. I want to tell you something. Help me, Lord. I'm going to be sensitive. It's 100% okay if you're not gorgeous. It's 100% okay if you're not attractive by American standards. Because that's not who you're going to be. And it, 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 listen, ladies, I don't want to be mean, but the woman who is drop-dead gorgeous at 25 won't be at 85. It's a battle that's not worth pouring your best into. Gentlemen, let me say this. Love her like she is. Love her like she is. Well, Jeff, she's, she's gotten bigger. She's gotten grayer. She's gotten wrinklier. Hey, dude, have you looked in the mirror lately? My point is this. I mean, I, I want to tell it to my kids. I want to tell it to uh, anybody that I can. I was like, listen. God made me short. I made me round, but God made me short. I've lived with it my whole life. And I remember, I mean, I, there were things I wanted to do. Just, Lord, let me be two inches taller. And then I met a guy who was a missionary. He's about five foot three. And he's like, I wish I was your size. <laughs> Scott Johnson, the guy who led me to Christ right after I got saved, he said, Jeff, you ought to be a missionary to the pygmies in Africa. They'll think you're a giant. <laughs> So I've dealt with the short stuff all my life, but you know what? That's, that's the way God made me. We, I don't know how I got here. Lord, help me. <laughs> Deliver me. The point, well, this was supposed to be spiritual. The point is, is that he made you the way he wanted to make you. You got a funny nose? It's okay. Hairline gone? Yeah. I feel you. It's Okay. Uh, we're talking about the outer man perishing day by day, but the inward man can be renewed day by day. So we'll go further. Her destiny was activated in her mother's womb. Listen, oh, I love this. Conservative evangelicals don't like the word destiny because it sounds a little new agey. Would you prefer I say predestined? Does that make you feel theological? What I'm saying is this. God didn't create people and say, hmm, you know, I created her 25 years ago. I wonder what I ought to be doing with her. You have a destiny. You, you have, from this point forward in your future, you have the ability to walk in God's purpose. Look at verse 16. David said, your eyes saw my unformed substance. That lets us know that there was a David in the heart of God before there was ever a David in the womb of his mother. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. What was written in that book? The days that were formed for me. When as yet there were none of them. Do you know what that says? 
that says that God has an, has an agenda before your life, before your life begins. That God has a plan for your life before you ever draw your first breath. That before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, God knew all of your days. I want to say this. There's no such thing as premature death when it comes to that mind of God. God never, never slips up. And I know that's hard for us to fathom, but I'm going to tell you something. I have a date with dust. I, I, there is a date that God knows where Jeff Lyle will be no more on planet earth. Now, no matter what I do, and we need to be good stewards of this life. I'm not, I'm not saying be reckless with that kind of thought. But what I'm saying is this. I don't want to live in fear of death. I got the real issue settled on August 4th, 1994, when I crowned Jesus Christ the Lord of my life by faith. And Jesus said, though you live and believe, excuse me, though you were dead, yet shall you live. He that lives and believes in me will never die. That means I can't really die into the sense that I would live in fear about that because death is nothing but a doorway that takes me into the, the back end of that plan. But until then, he's got a plan for you. Moms, your plan is going to be seasoned with both smiles and tears. It's part of the recipe. They're going to be uniquely flavored in a way that dads like me won't ever understand the taste of a mother's joys or sorrows. We, I watch Amy rejoice and I watch her weep and I'm thinking to myself, I see it happening, but I know I can't feel what she's feeling because I don't have that mom factor. And that's part of it. But I want to say this, sister, your destiny is not just about your motherhood. You are a daughter of God and his plan and his purposes for you include, if you are a mom, your children, but are never limited to that. David said, you know, all of my days, you had them all planned out before any of them ever came to pass. Ladies, let me tell you something. Oh man, I feel this so strongly. It, this is your season to permit yourself to stop looking backwards in regret. You say, well, Jeff, I must have missed God's plan for me. No, because you're still alive, so the plan's not done. God is so good that he can incorporate your colossal failures into the back end of springing you forward to your plan. He's never been intimidated by our fumbles. And so stop looking backwards in the rearview mirror of life. Put that thing in drive and say, Jesus, take me to where you want me to go. Why? Because he still has a plan for you. And then finally, verses 17 and 18. God's purposes for a mom are not yet completed. Verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. The hardest thing for us to do in life at times is to move our minds from seeing God as the colossal titanic overseer of all humanity to move from that and bring it down to where it is him looking right at you and knowing you and committing to you. I dare you to believe this. Some of you will say amen to when I say God loves you, you would say amen. I'm gonna take it a step further. He likes you. God 
likes you. He doesn't like everything we do, but he likes you. He is the consummate father. And he says, I think about you all the time. So Jeff, where do you get that? I just read it. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the way, the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit motivates David to say something like this. You think about me so much that if I tried to keep a record, I couldn't do it. You could, listen, if you go to the beach this summer, scoop up one handful of dirt and count how many grains you have. One handful. Say, so Jeff, that's stupid. Well, it's impossible, right? David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, uh, Lord, as much as you think about me, your thoughts towards me are more than all of the grains of the sand. Now, friends, there comes a time where we have to start believing our Bibles, or let's just throw the whole thing away. You, you don't believe John 3.16 and fail to believe Psalm 139 verse 18. Because if you pick and choose, Augustine said this, I believe, if you pick and choose what you believe about the gospel, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. And there's no tidy way to end this message. I'm just going to end it with the tenderness that I sense in my heart right now. Come, Lord. The Lord is offering you an exit from your regrets. He's inviting you to tell the enemy that you're closing the door on his accusations about your past. And the Lord is taking you by the hand. Worship team, come on up. He's taking you by the hand. And he's saying, I'm going to lead you into the rest of your life. I'm not done with you. He loves your children more than you do. That's why they're okay. That's why you don't have to wrestle and toil. He actually loves them more than you do. So Lord, as we listen this morning, we ask you to speak. We thank you, Lord, for the grace, the tenderness, and the mercy in this house this morning. Thank you for moms and those that would have been moms and wish to be moms. Thank you for all of us that never will be moms, Lord, because you have set your affection on us and called us to yourself. And you're worthy of our trust and praise this Mother's Day. In Jesus' name. Amen.